Take your Bibles, your apps, whatever you have with you, and open up to Revelation 19. We've got some Bibles over here on my left on the bay in the wall there. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, please grab one. Revelation 19. And as I mentioned earlier, this is still phase one. Next week, October the 4th, we'll be in phase two. So if you're just tuning in right now, we'll be back at the church with 100 people or less. And we're going to divide our services to the best of our ability up by alphabetical order. So last name A through M will be at the 9 a.m. service and N through Z. We encourage you to come to the 11 a.m. service, and if you just don't want to do that, then don't do it. Show up to whatever service you want, and we'll kick you out promptly. Just kidding. No. Show up to whatever service you can make it, and uh, first come, first serve, it's going to be nuts. And here's what's going to happen. We, we're just getting back into this. Ryan and I, Pastor Ryan and I, just had a conversation about uh, just our physical exhaustion over the last 203 days of bearing the burden of leading the church through a pandemic like this with all the different trials. I mean, pick, it's a grab bag. What trial are we going to have today? We're going to have a national disaster, a local disaster. We're going to have a, a civil disaster, like what's happening? It's crazy. And now as we get back into live services and then to next week, multiple services, we're kind of like looking at each other going, dude, are you, are you ready? Have you had a break yet? I don't know. Have you had a break yet? You know, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. Listen, pray for our staff, pray for our team and just continue to extend that grace toward everyone you see, knowing that really to the best of my ability, I'm doing my best. Hopefully you guys are doing your best as well. And as we get back into two services, if we find out that's not enough, we're going to quickly then adjust and add services. Maybe 9, 11, and 1, and, and 4, and, and just go all day long, 100 people or less, and just have fun with it. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun for some of you? It'd be fun for some of you, not me. It'd be, fun. <laughs> It'd be somewhat fun. We'll figure it out. It's going to be legit. But right now, take your Bibles and open up to Revelation 19. And I don't know if you guys know what's going on, but Revelation 19 is a sneak peek into the coming future of the return of Jesus Christ. I was talking to Ryan. I was like, man, I don't know if I can do chapter 19 justice. And then I realized quickly, of course I can. How can you teach the return of Jesus Christ and do it justice? You just, I can't. But I think that as we press in and say, Lord, would we study this and have this on the forefront of our mind in our personal and current trials, and then be those people who live with the soon return of Jesus Christ in the forefront of our mind. Because this prophecy was given to John on the island of Patmos, in his own sheltering, in his place, in his own quarantine, in his own pandemic, in his own governmental imbalance and social unrest, and all the things that he was dealing with. And God says, let me just show you what's going on, lest you get it twisted, lest you forget, lest you misstep. As a matter of fact, read with me the last verse of chapter 18. I just wanted you guys to see this. It says, and in her, the her is Babylon, Babylon the great, Babylon the commercial system, Babylon the religious system. Babylon literally means anything that's worldly. Man, have you guys figured this out yet? Have you realized that we live in a world that is conflicting with God? It's at war with God. A lot of people that I come in contact with say, I don't have a problem with God. And I say, that's cool. Do you think you might have a problem with you? You can be at peace with God all you want. You can declare peace with God and say, I'm just a peaceful person with God. And he might say to you, well, you haven't established that peace between me and you yet. And there's a war between Babylon, the worldly systems, both in the spiritual and the commercial sense. And this is what it says of Babylon, verse 24. It says, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Now, when the investigators show up and they find blood on the walls and blood on the floor and blood everywhere, like somebody's in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't, that's just not okay. And God says, that's how I look at the religious system. That's how I look at religion right now. I think it was Karl Marx who said, religion is the opiate of the masses, okay? And I actually believe him because I don't like religion. Okay, religion toxifies people. Religion takes people away from God. Let me tell you what I mean by that because some of you are thinking, uh-oh, what kind of church is? I don't like religion because religion is man's attempt to reach God, the Tower of Babel. Man's attempt to be righteous, to present himself righteous before God. Let me just do a few things and let me figure it out. Let me pull myself up on my bootstraps. And that's religion. And when a person fulfills their set of commandments and to-dos and to-don'ts, <laughs> we begin to look down our nose at other people. And we begin to look at God wrongly and say, I've done some things. And the Lord says, no, no, that's religion. You see, the whole message of the gospel of Jesus isn't me trying to get closer to God. You need to think about this. The whole message of the gospel is God sending his son down to get closer to us. That's Christianity. Christianity is, I'll do it for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life. And this idea of everything that exists contrary and in, in should I say, counterfeit opposition to God brings nothing but blood and death and separation. 
It says in verse 19, after these things. Everyone say, after these things. The Greek word there is metatauta. It's a sequential verse. It means that there was something that happened, and now this is going to happen next. After these things. Now, how many of you guys forget that from time to time? You get involved in your situation, your burden, your trial, your struggle, your agenda, and all you can see is what's going on. You think there's no way we're out of this. You guys ever thought that in 2020 so far? Is this ever going to end? You talk to people before, you're like, man, I can't wait till we get these mask regulations off. And I've talked to people who say, it's never ending. And I'm like, what? What do you mean never? And, and people say, it's never going to get better. I, I don't know. Do you know if it's going to get I mean, do you know if it's going to get better? I don't know. We assume, we pray, we hope. I go to bed every night saying, Lord, may I wake up in a different paradigm, you know? May I wake up in a different quantum leap. Lord, to take me somewhere else and I wake up and I'm still here. Here's the deal, though. After these things, this too shall pass. In the Old Testament, it often starts a story by saying, and it came to pass, and then it would unfold the story. Did you notice it never says, and it came to stay? You know, it doesn't say that. L learn this lesson, and it came to pass, and then all of a sudden the craziness happened. It's a war. And in our lives, in your marriage, in your journey, in your trial right now, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Not going to be here forever. One time we were doing this remodel at the Ashton Christian Fellowship and me and Rewire McGuire, he was like three or 400 pounds, man. This guy was all joy, all giant, big giant joy guy. But we were working together. I was doing the work and he was telling me what to do. He was an electrician. And I remember we got in the middle of this reconstruction project and we were weeks into it with what I saw was months to come. And I just looked up and said, I don't know if we're ever going to finish. And he just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, what are you laughing at? And he knew he'd been through things like that. He's like, we're gonna, we're gonna finish. And I literally was overwhelmed. I, I couldn't see us getting the church back in order in this remodeling. And I was overwhelmed because of all the wires and all the work ahead. And you know what? We did get finished. We got through it. We got through it. And so when John is given this vision by Jesus Christ, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John and then shared with the churches, it's in order that we would understand that it's not always going to be this way, but instead God is doing things in order to get us where he has us. Verse 1 again says, After these things... After what things? Chapter 18, chapter 17, probably chapter 16, you know, 15, 14. Remember chapter 6 through 18 is the tribulation, the great trouble of Jerusalem, the judging of the world. After, what happens after, Luke? Let's keep reading. It says, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Guys, let's trip out for a second. John is seeing the blood of the saints, the blood of the prophets, the blood of the martyrs. Oh, and after these things, he hears a voice in heaven, a great multitude. How many people do you guys think are going to be in heaven? How many people? I didn't ask if you're going to be there. Put your hands down. Maybe. How many of you guys are going to be in heaven? Like half of you guys raised your hands. Oh, let's do an altar call. We're all going to be there, okay? We're freaks. We're Jesus freaks. Sheesh. Let me talk slower and louder, clearer. How many people do you think are going to be in heaven? Okay. It is a great innumerable multitude. I want you to believe this. I, I encounter people from time to time that they evidently think that God is stingier and more broke than he really is. Like he doesn't have enough hall pass, doesn't have enough, you know, grace. Like, I don't know, heaven's going to be kind of small and just a few people, the frozen chosen, us four no more, bar the door, you know, the holy huddle, Bible bubble, you know. And, and that's like, what? Where do you read that at? Where does that come from? Jesus wills that none should perish, but that all should come to knowledge of him and repent. Now, heaven is reserved for those who accept Jesus into their heart, have their sins forgiven, and they accept him, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's reserved for those who are saved, but the amount of people that are going to be saved, have been saved, are being saved, and in this tribulation period will be saved, okay, I guarantee you is more than you imagine. It's not less. Wouldn't that be rad just to believe that? There's going to be more people than you would allow in. Because you, you're probably nice, like, on Fridays or something, you know? Like, on payday, you're nice, you know, or whatever. You're nice sometimes. And then you, you, you accidentally superimpose your niceties over God and say, yeah, if I was God, I'd, I'd let a few people in, for sure, you know, for sure. We are evil. We are evil in our thoughts. Evil and shallow and small and selfish and sinful compared to our generous God. Believe this. This will change the way you look at the world. It'll change the way you look at your own life. It'll change the way you receive grace. Heaven is going to have more people. There's going to be three big surprises, by the way, when you get to heaven. Okay, the number one surprise is going to be the people that are there that you didn't expect to be there. Like, what? I don't know how you got in. Let me go ahead and check with security. You know what I'm saying? 
and you're gonna freak out. There's gonna be movie stars and politicians and bad guys in your mind. Like, there's how did you get in? How did you get in? You know, you're gonna go get Peter and be like, this guy's gotta go, you know. You're gonna be surprised by who's there that you didn't expect there. Then also trip out. You're gonna be surprised at who's not there. And you're gonna be like, oh no, are you for what? Are you for real? I thought they I thought they were a deacon at their church. I thought they were an elder. I thought they were I thought they were a pastor. And yet they didn't believe in the things of God by salvation. It was works-based. It was religion. It was the religious system talked about in chapter 17. And you're going to be surprised by who's not there. And then the third major surprise, this is the best one. You're going to be surprised that you're there. <laughs> you know, I made it! You're, going to be, you're not going to walk around like, yeah, what do you expect? You know, you're, you're going to be so, you're going to be freaking out, grabbing crowns, throwing them on the roof, just throw, worshiping God. Because you're going to be, I can't believe I'm here. Look at this verse. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Guys, do not miss the context as we navigate through the worst trial on planet Earth, the seven-year tribulation period. That I believe is seven years from today at the nearest. What's going to initiate the seven-year tribulation it's going to be a one-world government coming together in the very near future. It's going to be the revealing of the Antichrist, who will have a different name, not the Antichrist, which will then initiate the rapture of the church, the rescuing of God's bride before the wrath of God is poured out on planet Earth. And as that happens, those things that are all the way right now, the pieces are on the board right now being put together for these events to happen in our planet. The Bible says that after the rapture, there'll be a seven-year tribulation. After those things, heaven will begin to worship. Listen to what heaven says in verse 1. It says, saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Four distinctives and descriptions are given from the voice of the worshipers about God. Salvation honor, glory, and power. This is who God is and what God has in his arsenal. This isn't what we give to him. We don't give it to him. I give you power, honor, and glory, and salvation. This is a declaration. Listen, everyone look, like, look up here real quick with your eyes open. When you see God, you realize salvation belongs to our Lord. Power belongs to our Lord. Glory belongs to our Lord. And honor belongs to our Lord. This is the basics of Christianity. This is the basics of humanity. This is the basics of heaven. When all of heaven realizes, oh yeah, he's too legit to quit. He is all that and more. He is everything that the world is striving to have right now. Everything that I want, even in myself, and it's all him. And how is this revealed in such power? We're so privileged to have this this morning to study it. Who is your God? He is salvation. He is glory. He is honor. And he is power. And by faith, I believe that. And when you have a heavenly perspective, Christian, okay, you can have an earthly attitude that is of good. That's the basic of today's sermon, today's time in Revelation 19, 1 through 10, is when you have a heavenly perspective, when you see things right, okay, you're going to have an earthly attitude that actually produces good. Because you can walk around with your shoulders high and your head lifted up and saying, you know what? Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to my Lord. And if you know those things, why in the world would you... Look differently. Why would you act differently? How does he accomplish this? Chapter 19, verse 1, comes on the heels of verses 18 or chapter 17. And it's after a shake-up and a wake-up in order to make up, in order to take up. You guys know all this stuff. Salvation. Have you guys ever heard that salvation belongs to the Lord? You guys ever heard that verse before? It's in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you. It's from our good buddy Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah, who was called by God to go witness to the Ninevites, the most godless people on the planet at that time. You think there's some bad guys right now? The Ninevites would make those bad guys afraid to be alive. The Ninevites were the worst. Check them out historically. There's no worse group of people ever than the Ninevites. And God says to Jonah, would you go give a message to them? I want them in heaven too. <laughs> and what's Jonah say? Jonah's like, I'm good. I'm good. Remember? And God signs him up for swimming lessons. <laughs> takes him to the whale museum. And in that, in the whale museum, he's in the belly of the whale. This is what Jonah says. He concludes his prayers. Great. Chapter two, read it later today. Jonah in the belly repents in his own tribulation. In his own tribulation. And he concludes, you know what? I'm changing my tune. And here's what he says. He says, when I fainted, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. 
And my prayer went up into your holy temple. And those who regard worthless idols, man, they forsake their own mercy. Verse 9, last verse of that chapter, it says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Listen, salvation is of the Lord. Jojo quotes that. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites. He didn't like them, didn't want them saved. And he realized through his own trial, his own belly experience. No, this is what God's doing. Please listen. This is important. What in the world is God doing right now? What do you think he's doing? You think it's out of control? You think things are horrible and things are upset and things need to get put back exactly the way they were? Like in my flesh, I'm like, yeah, let's try that. I'm fine with that. And the Lord says, boring. I'm trying to save people. Salvation, this is what I do. And if it takes a belly, if it takes drowning, if it takes, actually verse 10, this is great. It says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> Don't you love it when the Bible says vomit? Such a cool VBS story. Kids love barf. <laughs> Just think about it. You got whale barf, you know? Like, it's in the Bible. It's so fun. There's only one other verse that I could find that talks about barf. It's in the book of Revelation. And it's where Jesus said, I wish you were hot because I could use you. I wish you were cold because I could convict you. But instead, you're just lukewarm. And it makes me want to barf. I want to barf. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And here where this vomit happened in the whale, the whole purpose was so that way these elders then and Jonah then and maybe us today could say, so stoked that the Lord is saving people. This is who he is. I don't want to be in the belly of whale. Can I get an amen? I, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be barfed out. I don't want, to, I don't want any whale barf anywhere near me. Did you guys see that whale on Glen Eden Beach? It washed up on Glen Eden Beach in August and then it was buried in the sand. You guys see this? And it like was fine. And then all of a sudden just recently like got unburied and now it's out again. And apparently it's really, really bad. So this whale is, anyways, off topic. But what is God doing in our world? I'm going to read to you again. Verse 1 of chapter 19, a heavenly perspective will give to you an earthly attitude that actually produces good. Hallelujah is what they say. This is the voice we hear. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord. Stop right there. Eyes up here. How many of you guys are holding your cards close to your chest right now? And you're saying, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can say that. You will say it in heaven. Amen. In Jesus' name, you're going to be part of this crowd. You're going to be there surprised as, as all get out. You're going to be there. And you're going to claim and proclaim salvation and honor and power and glory belong to God. How many of you guys are waiting to get there, though? In your attitude. You're like Jonah, just mad, frustrated. This vision. As a matter of fact, I don't name sermons very often, but if you're writing it down, please do. It's a heavenly perspective leads to a mature attitude, leads to being earthly good. If you're heavenly minded, you can actually become earthly good. This is why you're watching online. This is why you're here gathered. This is why the church exists. This is crazy. 2020 is out of control. And the Lord's using it as a backdrop. I was talking with Pastor Robert Dine from Calvary Corvallis, some other pastors, months and months ago. Before the wildfires, before riots, before protests, before the murder hornets even. It's before all that. It was just COVID, just the chaos. And he said, in light of all this, this, this chaos, let that be what causes us as pastors, this backdrop of darkness. Let that be what allows our light to shine even brighter. That's not just for pastors, by the way. Man, I reject that. That's for brothers and sisters. It's for the body of Christ. That we would have that idea. Don't wait to get to heaven to cry out. Oh yeah, the Lord must have been saving people with power, honor, and glory. That's what he does. Hallelujah. Guys, check this out. That word hallelujah, it was in the, I don't know if Ryan read ahead, we sang some songs that had that same word. We're gonna see in a few verses, hallelujah comes up again. It's the only time in the New Testament that word is used. You might think, what are you talking about? Hallelujah is a pretty biblical word. Throughout the Old Testament, it is used liberally. It's all over the Old Testament. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You guys know what it means. It means praise the Lord. And it's never used in the New Testament as if God was saving it, that phrase, to crown his purpose, which is salvation and honor and glory. I'm going to read it again, verse 1. It says, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord. Verse 2, it concludes. Why? Why are they saying this? For true and righteous 
are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornications, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Verse 2 is a mouthful. And these elders, these worshipers, that's you and me, in heaven, seeing things rightly, say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Salvation and honor and power and glory belong to our Lord. For righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Man, do you believe that? Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. You are right and you are true in your judgments, in your execution, in your ability to govern and to lead the universe. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Isn't this crazy? You guys realize you're just a human, right? Like you were born naked, like super embarrassing. And then you like made a mess all over yourself for like two years straight. Like you just, you're, and, and then we grow a little bit and we go to community college and we read a book or two and we become very sophisticated. And we begin to tell God how he made things. Well, I believe it came from this thing. And we, you, we make our, you know, assertions on, on life and the universe and the cosmos. Isn't that crazy? You ever just look at somebody who knows everything? You're like, wow, that was quick. You just figured it out. You figured it out. And yet I do it in my, I figure things out. I know everything from time to time. You ever known everything? Man, super hard to be around me when I know everything. And, and yet, these guys in heaven, on the backdrop of the great tribulation, they conclude what we can conclude today. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. You're right and you're true. You guys know that everything in planet Earth right now isn't right and true. Everything down here is not right. There's some, in, there's some untruths and some unrighteousness, right? Right? So when you declare by faith, righteous and true are your judgments, it means that God's sovereignty in the midst of chaos and death and disease and divorce and distraction, and depression, and suicide, and crime, in the midst of all the, the Lord is still righteous and true. How is that going to help you to navigate forward? Is that going to help you at all? Helps me. I had a friend text me two days ago on behalf of her friend who'd lost their three-year-old son. Tragic accident. And they're believers. So wait, my three-year-old son, out. And they're just struggling both with a broken heart and then also struggling with why, why, why God allowed it. I said, well, we're, we're de- de- deepening into some, a fine line here. See, God has already promised us in this world that it's going to be unjust. It's going to be imbalanced. Imbalanced. In Genesis 3, God said, in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Chapter 4 comes quickly thereafter, and they die. Cain kills Abel. The next chapter is a murderous, grotesque story. And when I look at life and it's out of control, and I counsel with people that have lost something, well, what happened, what happened? I say, you know what? And I say it as gently as I can. I say it to myself. When I'm disappointed, when things don't go my way, I try and ask myself as quickly as possible, what would you expect? I mean, what did you expect? And why did you expect that? You're on planet Earth. You, you made it this far. I can't believe we made it this far. This is, and there's a war going on of, listen, truth and lies, righteousness and unrighteousness. And you know what the Lord is? He's true and righteous in all his ways, all the time. Even as Satan takes out families, takes out health, continues to ravage this planet with his lies and his death and sin. There's a war going on. And yet these elders choose, look at verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments because he's judged the great harlot. These guys see the future that God is going to take that which is wrong and make it right. He's going to exact the right cost for those who have sinned against him. Look what it says. It says, who have corrupted the earth, that is the harlot, with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Stop right here. Eyes up there. No been a while look at me these worshipers which are you by the way this is you (laughs) whoa it's you your conclusion in the future after the rapture after the judgment of the world before the return of the king is going to be worship lord you did it lord you did it you avenged the prophets you avenged the saints you avenge those who were ripped off. You avenge them, Lord. Yeah. Do you know that? 
Because if you know that today, then listen, I'm going to just say it as sensitively as I can. Then you cannot, let me say it differently, you don't have to avenge yourself. Let me read Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, by the way, I think the heading in my Bible, what's it say? Living sacrifices to God. Oh, then it says in verse 9, it says, behave like a Christian. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Maybe you should read that. Anyways, <laughs> try it. Read, read verses 9 through the end. Try swallowing chapter 13, too, if you can. This is what he says, though. Verse 19 in Romans 12. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We talked about this last week. God is explicitly asking you and I not to take vengeance upon ourselves, okay? Because it's his. Can you imagine robbing the Lord? Like, let me help you with that. Let me make sure I get it right. He's like, no, 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 for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, God has the authority. You do not, okay? And number two, God has the wisdom. You do not. You don't know what's, you don't know anything. Do you know? What do you know? I guarantee you in a month or two from now, you're going to know something different than you know now. And what you know now will be wrong. I promise you. I promise you. You'll be like, huh, that was weird. That was weird. I got that shirt printed up that said I'm right and I can't wear it anymore. You know? I'm, have you been alive long enough to have this? Am I the only one learning this lesson every single thinking day? The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And so the Lord says, yeah, don't, don't, don't get paybacks, bro. Just let, I'll do it. Vengeance is mine. The verse before that, by the way, let me just make sure you're hearing this. Verse 18 says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What? And then he goes on to say, don't take vengeance. And then we see the future. These guys, these guys are you guys, are able to say, righteous and true are your judgments, the Lord, for you have avenged her. Who? The saints, the church, the world. You made it right. Now, if you know that the Lord's going to make everything right, if you can actually believe that, it is going to cause so much joy in your life. It's going to cause so much worship, so much ecstasy for the rest of your life. I want to grow in this as a believer. I don't want to be stunted, and let me use a different word, immature. How's your spirituality? Is it mature or immature? I'm only 21 years old. Spiritually. Been seeking the Lord for 21 years. Like, Lord, take my life. Take my life. Don't just save my soul. That was easy when I was eight years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I said, oh, wait, you want to drive the car too? Crazy, you know. Okay, take my life. And now my spiritual maturity is 21, 22 years old. It's pretty young. Most 22-year-olds are brain dead still. Especially men. How's your spiritual maturity? We're going to see it here in just a minute. It says, you have avenged her. The blood of her saints has been avenged. Look at verse 3. Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Verse 3, for those of you theology buffs in here taking notes, you students of the word, they declare then, and again, they is you, or this is us. They declare then, we'll declare the smoke of Babylon, anything worldly and antichrist in place of Christ, anything, all of it. The smoke will rise up. How long does it say in verse 3 again? What's it say there? Forever and ever. Not forever, forever and, forever and ever. That sounds a long time, doesn't it? Here's why. It's because it's a very long time. It's forever. There is a weird theology, her heresy I should call it, going around that talks about that hell doesn't exist. And the reason why people don't want hell to exist is because they don't like hell. You know, this is, you know, I was like, I don't like that idea. It's like, well, yeah, you don't even like, you know, whatever. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't get a vote. And God declares explicitly throughout the scriptures, hell's forever. That's why it's important. And I thank God for the life he's given me and the, you and the people watching online. He is patient and slow to wrath. And yet he's thorough in his execution of righteousness and judgment. And God says, I'll give you days and years and decades and centuries to repent because hell is forever. That's why today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of repentance. And you should never preach about the eternity of hell, the separation of souls from God forever and ever without a lump developing in your throat without a sickness developing in your stomach. 
without a heaviness of the necessity and the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't ever with pride in your eternal ticket, I'm going to heaven. Forget to weep for those who are not yet going with you. Jesus Christ, scorned and rejected. His first sermon he ever preached at his home church, they tried to kill him in Nazareth. Rejected his entire ministry. Attacked, misunderstood. And yet with a face set towards Jerusalem, like a flint, like a stone, immovable. Said, I'm here for the lost. I came for the sick, not the well. Christian, have we lost in our richness? Have we lost a sensitivity to the depth of eternity and separation? An eternal rising of smoke. And let that settle in. It's going to happen. It is not yet, though. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of reflection. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You guys know Jonah's story. As soon as he was barfed up on the beach, Jojo would reluctantly shake the chunks off, make his way to Nineveh, and he would preach a garbage message. I think it's like six words. It's a garbage message. He shows up to Nineveh. It's like eight words at best, maybe six. He's like, dude... 40 days, you're all going to burn. My bad. <laughs> Read it. It's bad. And God loves the Ninevites so much. He's like, that was really bad, Jonah. But I'm going to use it anyways. And he anointed it. The king got saved. The king says, let's all get saved. And all of Nineveh gets saved. It actually goes down in history as one of the biggest revivals recorded in the history of mankind. <laughs> the whole nation of Nineveh saved. For a couple centuries, they would live as under the Lord. Crazy. Why? Because Jonah's great, great love? No, no. Because that's what God's doing. Today's that day. Guys, I, I read this this morning. I'm just going to read it now. It's not part of the sermon, but it is, it is now, I guess. When God judged Sodom, he, he tells us why he does it in Ezekiel. And I read it this morning. It just kind of bothered me. So I'm going to read it to you so it can bother you. Ezekiel 16, 49, it says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Okay, sounds like America. And here's the part that bothered me. And, did, and, and, and neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And I read that, I was like, oh, how offensive. And I began to immediately be pricked in my spirit and convicted at my love for the poor and needy, spiritually poor, physically poor. Just do I love people that are different than me? God looked at Sodom and they had all kinds of food, all kinds of time and all kinds of stuff. But the main thing was that they didn't care. Oh, you guys have, you don't care, huh? That's troublesome. And it bothered me. I was like, Lord, man, break my heart for what breaks yours. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Hallelujah. And the smoke rises up forever. Verse 4, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, amen. And hallelujah, the fourth time we now see this word hallelujah. It's the only time in the New Testament that's used ever is in this worship service. God is saving that word as the exclamation point on all things he's doing now. We can use it now, it's fine, but we see it's used then. And the 420 elders, those are pictured in the earlier chapters of the book of Revelation. I also think that they are symbolic and emblematic of the saints. Tribulation saints, Old Testament saints, but also New Testament saints, which is you and me. And it says that they worship him freely. This is the whole, the whole chapter is about worship, worshiping God. Chapter 19, it's, it's insane. 
It's the crown of the achievement of God and the judgment, the wake up, the shake up, the make up, the take up, all that stuff that he's doing right now. And it turns into worship. And I want to encourage you and me that if we have this heavenly perspective on our lives right now, we can become earthly good and actually live our lives with what I'm going to say, a mature spiritual attitude. I asked that question earlier. How's your spirituality? Is it mature or immature? Let me help you answer it right now. Okay, I'm going to help you answer it right now. Your spiritual maturity. The word used here is elder. It's a word used for a lot of different reasons. And I remember the first time I was invited to an elder meeting. I was about 23 years old, 24. And I thought I was too young chronologically to be an elder. And, and I may have been. I was elder in training. Elder doesn't mean older physically, chronologically, necessarily. Because did you know you can actually be older chronologically and still be spiritually immature? And you can also be young chronologically and, and be spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity, okay, is evidenced based on the way that you worship God in light of everything going on. This is in heaven. What do these guys do at the very end of all of this? They don't go to the HR department and file a complaint. You imagine if they just started looking for the complaint box? You're going to get to heaven. Is there a comment box somewhere? I'd like to talk to somebody. My life was kind of out of control. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, right now we can. It's like, man, I'm, as soon as I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to ask God a couple questions. You ever said that before? I'm going to ask him about this. Like, yeah, I'm just going to be honest. I'm trying to tread lightly here on some thin ice, but it's worth, worth skating on. Your spiritual maturity will be evidenced by the way you either worship God no matter what or complain and murmur about everything, no matter what. These elders, what do they do? I'm not making this stuff up. Look again, verse four. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down, worshiped God, who's on the throne, saying, amen, alleluia. You guys know what amen, alleluia means? Amen means, somebody say it. So be it. So be it. <laughs> and then alleluia means praise the Lord. That's their declaration in heaven. So be it. Now, I'm excited on this day. No, no. That day then to say that then. You know what I'm saying? Are you as willing to say it today, though? Amen. So be it. Amen. So be it. Your spiritual maturity will be evidenced in your ability this day to say amen. So be it. So be it. When you get handed the slip, when you lose the friendship, when your health is compromised, when all hell breaks loose on planet Earth, and you see beyond Earth, and you see heaven and you say, so be it. Praise the Lord. That is your spiritual maturity meter. Praise the Lord. Praise him. PTL. Praise the Lord. Let's bring it back. Praise the Lord. PTL. Praise the Lord. No matter what. Your situation is not good. It's not easy. It might get worse. You ever feel that pain, physical pain in your body? Like, what's that? What is that? Ignore it for a little bit. It gets worse. What is that? Amen. So be it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we get to heaven, it's going to be super easy, right? It's going to be so fun. All the tears wiped away. Everything made right. We're not there yet, right? This is our turn. This is our time. You guys get excited about living by faith? Right now, the Bible says that the angels are peering over the banister of heaven, freaking out because of the events of 2020. It says they've been doing it forever. But they're peering into the things. They're going, what in the world? 
They're watching. They're learning about God through his creation, which is us, and his revelation in us being revealed right now. They're learning about God's character through our response to his declarations in his spirit. Isn't that weird? It matters. Your response down here, your spiritual maturity. Are you an elder? Or are you a toddler? Spiritually. It will be evidenced. On any given day, maybe a little differently, right? Because I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm, I'm amen, so be it guy, you know? Amen, so be it. <laughs> Other times I'm looking for the complaint desk. <laughs> Lord. Lord, you said. And he's not in that. Guys, you know how blessed we are as Christians to have the language of faith, the language of heaven? The world is broke. They're just as plexed as you. They're just as stressed, just as pressed. All of it. There's no difference. The difference is you and I have the language of heaven, which is faith. We see things. We can say, amen, so be it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We can say that. We have grace and forgiveness freely purchased by Jesus Christ. We can see that salvation is coming through all this. The rest of the world, they're panicking. Chicken little, sky's falling. What the heck? And as Christians, we can be going in the kitchen making popcorn, waiting for the show, you know. <laughs> Woo, it's getting crazy. Are you guys seeing what's happening in the Middle East and with the peace talks and Jerusalem and all the, and all the treaties? Man, the ball for eschatological end times events has moved down the field and it's on the three-yard line. Man, we are getting close. This is exciting. And even if we live to the end of our days, if we live it out, every day is an opportunity to live by the language of faith like these elders. <laughs> Amen. So be it. So be it. Verse 5, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God. All you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Stop right there. Verse 5, this isn't a, a voice from the throne saying, praise our God. This is a voice from the throne. A command, praise our God. You ever wonder what you're supposed to do in church? Like, what are we supposed to do? Sit down, stand, hands up, you know? You're not going to wonder in this moment, you know? You're going to know exactly what to do. The voice from the throne. And I just want to encourage you guys. I love singing. I love praising because I'm a church guy. Like, I know, I know how church works. And we sing, we learn, we do, we do stuff. I'm, I'm pretty good at being told what to do. And I want us to grow in that. Praise our God. This is the right response, not just at a church service. When Pastor Ryan says, stand up and give it all you got, let's really hear your voices, you know, we shouldn't even have to say that. We shouldn't have to, but, but we, we forget in here, we're commanded. What are you waiting for in your life right now? Not to sing louder, because some of your voices really you shouldn't be singing too loud. <laughs> right? I can only say that because my voice is like the worst. So I get it. I sing loud, though. Maybe it's not singing, but maybe it's just that attitude of gratitude. What are you waiting for right now? You're waiting for God in heaven to say, hey, 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 praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen, so be it. A revival in the world out there is going to begin in a revival in here. Revival isn't lost people getting saved. You guys know that? It's not a bunch of people getting saved. That's not revival. Revival is the church, okay, freaking out at the throne of God in the hope of heaven, waiting for his soon return and living our lives for his glory and the good of others. And when we really, really do that, revival comes out of that. People get saved. People see your life and the Shekinah glory that flows out of you gets all over people. They say, what's up, dude? Why are you so weird? What's wrong with you? You drink coffee or something? It's the Lord. This command, verse 5, praise the Lord. Small and great, fear him. You guys know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord doesn't mean you shudder in terror. 
it means you bow in honor. And when you bow in honor and you say, there is a God, this is Theology 101, write this down for you newbies. Theology 101, there is a God and you're not him. Okay, just, because there's a lot of people that, that don't, <laughs> they get both of those wrong. There is no God, but I am one. I thought I'm gonna do, you know. It's like, well, that's the opposite of wisdom. Like that's the beginning of dum-dum, you know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you realize, oh, wow, there is a God and I'm not him. Okay, now we're going to be driving safe. Now your life, your decisions, your worship, your reactions are going to all be founded on that conclusion. Fear him, verse five, both small and great. Verse six, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters saying hallelujah. For the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Because what was this like? He describes it as the voice of a great multitude of the sound of many waters. You ever been to like Silver Falls, Silverton, you know, Silver Falls State Park and stood behind the waterfall? You're like, and it's like, you know, or you've been to Niagara Falls there, you know, or any, you just, water is loud. Even if you go to the beach on a real rough day, the waves, you're like, what'd you say? You know, and he says, that's what it was like. So many people singing a very simple chorus. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. You guys know Handel wrote this, Handel's Messiah, 1741. And he wrote this, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Remember that, that thing? I made Noah, my son over here, I made him listen to it on the way to church this morning, 1741, orchestra music. And so we listened to the whole thing and we were just freaking out, I was freaking out, he was looking at me like I'm a weird dad. <laughs> And so I went on iTunes and I typed in Handel's Messiah Remix. And I found a dubstep version and, uh, of Handel's Messiah, kind of a workout version. And yet this, this, this crowning of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will reign forever. And that's the chorus that we'll sing then was given to John 2,000 years ago. And is now is our privilege today and this week to take this into our work week, into our marriage into everything we do. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Our Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. Guys, we're gonna have to pick this up next week. And I want you right now though to grasp this concept. This worship service in heaven will happen. We've got nothing that's going to happen. And I really believe you guys are going to be there. I believe all you guys are going to be there, okay, by grace, by, by the finished work of Jesus Christ. He sent his only son to the world to save. And those who believe him by faith are saved. And you're being saved in three ways. You know that, right? You're, you're, you're saved from your past, praise God. You're being saved right now. Some of you need to hear that. Salvation is three parts. You're saved, but you're being saved. Anybody right now need a lifeline? Need a, need a tow rope? You need help? Anybody in here? Don't raise your hand. Anybody need help right now, though? The Bible declares you're being saved. And the Bible declares that on that day when judgment happens, you will be saved. The finished work of Jesus Christ is active for you. And this will happen then, but we carry it into our lives this week and today and this month and into October and into whatever 2020 brings. Amen. So be it. Praise the Lord. The language of heaven, it's very simple. The language of politics, not so simple. The language of medics and physicians and viruses, not so simple. The language is around us, not so simple. The language of heaven is amen and so be it. And now with this segue point where we're going to end today, it says that the rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Final thoughts. I do weddings from time to time. I'm doing one next Saturday. Doing one the Saturday after that. I did three or four or five or six weddings this summer. Weddings are awesome. They're so awesome. Some are more awesome than others. And somehow, now the language, I want you guys to think about this this week. The, the, the writer, the revelator, John, tells us that the celebration in heaven is about to enjoy the marriage of the Lamb. And it's going to go into great detail. 
talking about the joining of the groom and the bride. It's happening. It's happening. In our day, we put a lot of impetus, a lot of importance, a lot of great celebration on weddings. Man, we set a date, and there's an engagement, and there's, there's parties, and there's, there's a run-up, and then there's the everything, and then there's the ceremony, and then there's the reception, and then there's the honeymoon. It's a big deal. Rightly so. Rightly so. God says, yeah, that's what's going to happen in heaven. Right now, we're engaged. It's the betrothal. We're engaged to the church, the bride of Christ, to the groom. And in those days, the betrothal was legal and binding. When Joseph and Mary were betrothed, yet they had not lived together or been together, they were legally bound to be wed eventually. You and I, the bride of Christ, we're betrothed, we're engaged. And it's going to go in in Revelation 19 to say that the bride has made herself ready. And in those cultures, the bride would prepare herself and get ready for the groom's arrival. And when the groom showed up, not exactly declaring the time or the hour, but at an unexpected time, the bride was to be ready, ready for her groom. And I believe that's what God wants us to do is to prepare ourselves and our hearts for the groom, for the return of Jesus, to take us away to a seven-year honeymoon while the tribulation happens down here, the rapture of the church. It's happening next, and I believe God is using all this emergency break on the things of life. I didn't vote for this pandemic. I wouldn't have voted for any of this, and God says, well, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. Trust me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name now, we take your word and we ask that it would be planted in our hearts and you would search us out. And we repent as men and women here in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here, your head's bowed or maybe you're at home and you would say, man, I'm so immature. I just want to mature up right now. I want to be like these. I want to be like that. I want to be like who I'm going to be in heaven. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. And maybe today you need to repent of stupidness. You've been shallow. You've been insincere. You've been distant. You've been sinful. What have you been doing? If you're like me, you can just raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now if you have anything in your life you just need to repent of. It's been, it's been evidenced. It's, been, it's shown up on your radar. Lord, here we are in Jesus' name. And I thank you that salvation belongs to the Lord. Power and glory and honor. It's yours. And I raise my hand by way of repentance, and I say, I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you for being so faithful to me, faithful to Jonah, faithful to the Ninevites, faithful to America, faithful to this world, faithful to the church, to make sure that we're ready for your soon return. Forgive me, forgive us. And if there's something in your heart, something needs to change, not just your repentance today, but you got to take it a step further. What are, you, what's, what, are you do, what are you holding on to? Maybe it's an activity, something that's just stupid. Wait, sin, just get rid of it. Delete the account, get rid of the device, move out, do something different. Maybe it's an attitude. Repent, leave it at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's an offense. Maybe you need to apologize to your spouse. You need to repent to, to, your, to your son or your daughter or to a brother or sister. <laughs> do it. Today is the day. Lord, would you help us to be those people that lead and that look for your glory and for others' good. You can put your hands down. Father, would you have your way now as we go and enjoy this beautiful day. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for not just South Beach Church, but for all the churches, but Lord, I do pray for South Beach Church. Lord, we are, this is your church. Give us wisdom. What should we do? What should we not do? What do you want us to do? We'll do it. And I pray that we would do it, Lord, saying amen. Praise the Lord. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.